is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. Welcome to Focus on God's Word. My name is Danny Milenkov and I am blessed to be leading out in another message looking at this all-important topic of Noah, the story of Noah from the book of Genesis. And so if you are joining us for the first time, I want to give you a big warm welcome wherever you may be joining us from, whether it be somewhere here in Australia or around the world, a big warm welcome to you. I want to welcome our studio audience here at 3ABN in the beautiful Lake Macquarie region of New South Wales, where we are filming this program from. It's great to see each and every one of you. And today is the third presentation or the third message in this series on Noah. The overall theme, Noah, another storm is coming. And, and today's message is entitled, She'll Be Right, Mate. She'll be right, mate. Now, if you're an Australian, you full well understand what that term is or a New Zealander. But for some of you out there, you may be thinking, she'll be right, mate. What on earth does that saying um, communicate? We'll be unpacking that as we go. You see, this saying, she'll be right, mate, is very much part of Australia's DNA. It's, it's built within our DNA from, from when we exit the womb. What does it all mean? In a nutshell, it means that everything is going to be okay. In the end, no matter what happens, it's all going to turn out okay. You see, in Australia, we live um, in, a, in, in a land that's very much laid back. Wouldn't you agree? We are very much laid back. And if anyone's encountered Australians, um, you'll know we're pretty laid back. It's because, you know, we are surrounded by some 50,000 kilometers of coastline. That's, uh, that's a lot of coastline. We're the sixth largest nation on the planet. Those 50,000 kilometers of coastline contain 10,000 beaches, 10,000 beaches. So if you were to spend just one day at every one of those 10,000 beaches, you would need 27 years to get through all of Australia's 10,000 beaches. Uh, we are a nation that is, is focused very much on the beach. 85% of our population lives within 50 kilometers of the coastline. So, so go onto the beach and enjoying barbecues, having a beer, taking your boat is very much part of Australian culture and the Australian uh, laid back way of life. Sadly, not much time for the Bible although we've got time for, for everything else. So that's a little of, of what it means when someone says to you, she'll be right, mate. In fact, there's a technical term for it, I discovered, a technical term for she'll be right, mate. And this is the technical term. It's called normality bias or normalcy bias. And uh, the, the definition for normality bias or normalcy bias is a human tendency to respond to threat warnings with disbelief or minimization and to similarly underestimate a disaster's deleterious, that is causing significant harm or damage, effects. So, so that's what it means. 
uh, this normalcy bias. Well, she'll be right, mate, as we like to say here in Australia. And our politicians here in Australia have been telling us um, over the last number of months, ever since COVID came to our town and every town around the world, that we'll get to the other side. Isn't that right? The Prime Minister, our, our premiers have been getting up and they've been reassuring the Australian public that, yes, uh, life is difficult. It's challenging. But you know what? She'll be right, mate. We'll get to the other side and we'll come back better and stronger as a nation. That's the optimistic way of life here in Australia. And I guess that's, uh, that's what's made Australia what it is today and why so many people from around the world want to come to this uh, land down under that my parents certainly did all those years ago. Well, what's this title, She'll Be Right, Mate, have to do with the days of Noah? Thank you for asking. That's a good question. I mean, you know, Danny, we're talking about a very serious subject, the days of Noah. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be before I arrive. What on earth has she'll be right, mate, have to do with the days of Noah? In a word, everything, everything. We're going to unpack what the Bible has to say on this subject and how, and how Jesus uh, described our day better than we could even imagine. But before that, what do we need to do before we open up God's word? We need to pray. That's exactly right. So let's pause and pray. Father in heaven, we're once again here seeking to understand what your holy word has to say to us. So, Father, as we open up your holy word, open up our hearts and our minds that we may be ready and willing to receive what the Holy Spirit has to say to your people. For this is our prayer in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I want to go over the three main points uh, that we started off um, our series. And as I pointed out, this is our, our third message in this series of six. And these are the three key points of why the story of Noah is especially relevant to those who are living on the eve of Jesus coming. The story of Noah, firstly, clearly identifies Earth's final generation. And that's going to become even more clear as we go along. Secondly, it enables us to know and understand how we can be ready when the Son of Man returns. And thirdly, it provides instruction on how we can prepare others for Jesus' soon return. These are the three key points that I have discovered in the story of Noah as I've dug deep, very deep into this story because Jesus said it was of extreme significance. So let's go to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. This is our key passage, as we've pointed out at the end of the signs of the times that Jesus gave in Matthew 24. He, he brings the signs of the times concerning his coming and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. These two events he, 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 he wove together like a, like a powerful, uh, beautiful tapestry. And he brings uh, the signs of his coming to a conclusion with these words. And I'm beginning in verse 36, Matthew 24 and verse 36. Jesus says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be. Jesus, crystal clear as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be 
when he returns. And life was going on. It was, it was just as it always was. Now, let's go to the passage there in Luke. Because in Luke there, we have not only the days of Noah described by Luke, but he also adds what Matthew omits. Matthew omits uh, the story of Lot, but Luke includes that as he reflects on the words of Jesus. So in Luke chapter 17, and we're picking it up in verse 26, Luke 17, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it would also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, I find it absolutely fascinating that Jesus here in Matthew and in Luke, as it's recorded by Matthew and Luke, he does not zero in on the violence, as we've discovered, the wickedness, the evil, the corruption, even the, even the population explosion that we discovered in Genesis. But instead, he focuses on everyday activities. Now, is there anything wrong with eating and drinking? Not necessarily. I guess it depends what you're eating and drinking. Is there anything wrong with getting married? Well, once again, <laughs> do I need to fill in the blank? Well, it does matter who you marry, doesn't it? As we discovered, the flood was the direct result of the sons of God, the righteous, marrying the unrighteous, the daughters of men. We discovered that in Genesis chapter 6. So it does make a big difference. It does make a big difference. But there's nothing wrong per se with marriage. It comes from God. God is the one that gave us food and drink. God is the one that gives us marriage. Is there anything wrong with, with buying and selling, building and planting? No, there isn't. So why is Jesus honing in on these everyday activities? There's a reason, a very important reason why Jesus zeroes in on the everyday activities. A very good reason, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But before that, we have been given these instructions from Scripture. We have been given the example of Noah and of Lot by Jesus Christ himself in order that we may be prepared so that we too may not end up as the antediluvians and as the people of the days of Lot who were sadly lost and destroyed. George Santayana, he's a, a famous Spanish-born philosopher who lived during the uh, the 19th and the 20th century, he is most famous for this statement that he made. He said, those who do not remember the past are condemned to do what? Repeat it. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Jesus wants us to learn from the past. That is why we have been given these two examples the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And that is why Jesus zeroes in on everyday life. So let's take a look at what was happening in the days of Noah and Lot, but especially Noah 
as He is our focus and compare it to what is happening today. And let us see, let us see if we can see a carbon copy to what was happening back then to what is happening today. Firstly, as we take a look at the days of Noah, as it was, so it will be, Jesus said. The first thing that we discover is that it was business as usual. Business as usual. It was an attitude of business as usual. Normal everyday activities, buying, building, planting, selling, eating, drinking, marrying, they are normal everyday activities. Have a look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 40, regarding life going on, business as usual. Matthew 24, sorry, Matthew, yeah, Matthew 24, and I'm, and I'm in verse 40 and 41. Jesus here, after he speaks of the days of Noah, so it will be when I come, he immediately continues on with these words in verse 40. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. The other will be left. What's Jesus here trying to communicate? He's communicating everyday life. You see, 2000 years ago in Jesus day, an everyday activity for men was to be where? In the field, working in the field. For the women, an everyday activity was to be doing what? at the mill, grinding, preparing food for the family. It's interesting in Luke chapter 17, verse 34, Jesus adds one more element that Luke includes. He says, I tell you in that night, speaking of his coming, there will be two men in one bed. Okay, now we're not, let, let's not jump to conclusions. Okay, what Jesus here is saying is there's going to be two men. Okay, they're going to be sleeping, not necessarily in the same bed, but they're going to be in two beds. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Sleeping. Is there anything wrong with sleeping? No, that's an everyday, or should I say an every night activity. So Jesus here once again is pointing out everyday activities. One will be ready, one won't be ready. Let's take a look at the second point. The second point. The main focus in Noah's day, in Lot's day, was on, a, was on accumulating the goods of this world rather than worshipping the Creator God who provided the goods. I like to refer to this in two words. Perilous priorities. Perilous priorities. Focusing on the here and now rather than on the things to come. The kingdom of this world and building up the kingdom of this world rather than zeroing in and focusing on building up the things that really matter, the kingdom of heaven. Going back to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, fascinating words here from Jesus. And I'm picking it up this time in verse 31. So we've read about the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And Jesus continues in verse 31 of Luke chapter 17. In that day. Jesus says, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember whose wife? Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life 
will preserve it. What is Jesus here saying? Jesus is saying, don't get caught up in the things of this world. And just in case we're not quite sure what Jesus is referring to, he says, remember who? Remember Lot's wife. Now, what happened to Lot's wife? Well, she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, why did she turn into a pillar of salt? That is because whilst, whilst Lot's wife left Sodom with her husband and, and her two daughters, while she left physically, her heart was still attached to Sodom. And she turned back. She turned back. And as a result, she ended up a pillar of salt. The angels clearly gave instructions to Lot and his wife and his daughters. Do not look back. Run for your lives. Do not look back. And that's here what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is saying, don't look back at this world. This world is perishing. It's perishing. It's doomed for destruction. Instead, look up, as Jesus said, look up as your redemption is drawing near. And that's in Luke chapter 21. Now, now how should we respond? Where should our focus be? Noah is our example. Noah is our example. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when I come. Notice what we read in Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. But Noah found what in the eyes of the Lord? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You and I need to be focused on the things of eternity and right at the very heart of the things of eternity is what? God's grace. We've discovered in a previous presentation, that at the very heart of the story of Noah is what? God's grace, God's faithfulness to Noah. In fact, the very heart, the very center, the very bullseye, as we discovered in our previous message of the story of Noah is, 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 what, is what chapter and what verse in the story of Noah? Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. And God remembered Noah. Noah was an individual who experienced God's grace. He embraced God's grace. And then the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of God's grace. He communicated, he communicated God's grace to his family, to his, to his friends, to all who were willing to hear about God's grace. He was a man, according to the scriptures, who was blameless, who was filled with integrity. He walked with God. He walked and talked with God just like Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. So that is where our focus needs to be. Jesus is saying, may your focus be on the things of the kingdom of God, not the things of the kingdom of this world. Remember whose wife? Remember Lot's wife. And I think that's, a, I think that's something we ought to be doing each and every day, don't you? Each and every day, we ought to be remembering Lot's wife. Why? Because that helps us to focus on remembering our Creator God, not getting caught up in the goods of this world and neglecting the God of this world who has provided those gifts. Thirdly, 
Well, before we get to there, Jesus spoke of, of, of where our focus ought to be in Matthew 6. Matthew 6 verses 19 to 21 and onwards, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He goes on, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes on in verse 31 and he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What did Jesus speak of? As it was in the days of Noah, they were eating and what? Drinking? Or what shall we wear? He goes on. For after these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But instead seek what? Seek first what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Noah was a man of righteousness and Noah was a man who preached a message of righteousness by faith. And that is what God's plan is for each and every one of us, for us to seek first the things of his kingdom. In fact, Noah, he invested his his resources, all of his resources in the ark. Isn't that right? He invested all of his resources in the ark. And as someone once put it, his shares floated. His shares floated. And they did indeed. (laughs) Everything else perished except for that which Noah invested. He invested everything in the work of God and in the salvation of humanity. Number three, things that we can learn from the story of Noah. Signs and warnings given, signs and warnings ignored. Did God give ample signs and warnings to the people of Noah's day? Yes, indeed. Let me put it to you in this way. There is nothing more frightening. There is nothing more scary, to put it in simple language, than facing a stupendous crisis unprepared. Isn't that true? There is nothing more, nothing more. Whenever there's a, there's a, a, a major storm or there's um, some major fire taking place, we, we have our politicians and, and people, from, uh, people from the various authorities come on TV and on the radio and they give warnings, don't they? They give warnings. You know, we have, we have cyclones, especially up north. I don't know if any of you have experienced the cyclone. I've just seen it on the news and it looks terrifying. But there are warnings given. Warnings are given not to scare us, but to prepare us. God always gives a warning before any significant event that impacts humans. Notice what we find in Amos chapter 3, verse 7. In Amos chapter 3, verse 7, we read these words. This is God speaking. Surely the Lord God does how much? Nothing, unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. In the days... Of Noah, there were ample warnings that a flood was coming. Let me give you just several. Firstly, Noah preached for 120 years. He preached for 120 years. And by the way, before we move on to the next point, you know what I discovered? Something I didn't know before until I examined the story very closely. 
And that is that God gave the message to Noah that a worldwide flood was coming and that he was to be the one to give the message to the world when Noah was 480 years old. The flood came in the 600th year of Noah's life. So it was 480 years. Do you know that Noah, according to the scriptures, only had his sons in the 500th year of his life? Could it be that Noah was without children for 480 years? For 500 years without children. There is no record of him having any children prior to this. Talk about a man of faith. If that is the case, we'll find out one day for sure. Could it be that he was like Abraham who didn't have a child for so long? And in that day and age and in that culture, just like today in many cultures, not to have children is a big deal, a very big deal. And yet he was what? Faithful to God. He was faithful to God. That's just a little aside, but a powerful point. Noah preached for 120 years. Noah built an ark or a boat. That was clear evidence that there was something on the way. Number three, the Methuselah prophecy. Now, what is the Methuselah prophecy? You see, Methuselah was the son of Enoch. Enoch was the first prophet in the Bible. And in fact, he prophesied concerning the coming of Jesus. And you can read about that in the book of Jude, the last book before Revelation. Methuselah, his name is made up of two Hebrew words. And notice what those two words are in reference to. Methuselah, and this is from Strong's Concordance. To send a weapon or dart or his death sends, possible meaning when he dies, the weapon or dart shall be sent, or when he dies, it shall come to be or come to pass. Here's another interesting um, observation by Jeff Benner from the Ancient Hebrew Research Center. And this is what he says. It is interesting to note that the year Methuselah died, something very big was sent. That is the flood. Methuselah's name may be a prophecy that on the day of his death, his death will send the flood. The year that Methuselah died was the year of the flood. Have you ever asked yourself, why did Methuselah live the longest? He lived for 969 years. There is no one in recorded history that has lived that long. He has lived the longest, 969 years. Why did Methuselah live for 969 years? He died the very year of the flood. And you can work that out by taking a look at Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 7. The dates are all, sorry, the, the, the times are all there. 969 years he lived right up until the year of the flood and then he died. His name was a prophecy. So they had Methuselah in their midst whose name, when he dies, it shall come to pass. And what's Noah preaching? Noah's preaching that a flood is coming. And God gave this message through Enoch, through his son Methuselah as an added warning, as an added evidence that the flood was coming. Fourthly, 
the animals mysteriously make their way into the ark, the mysterious animal parade. Two by two of the unclean animals, male and female, and seven pairs, male and female, of all the clean animals, making their way mysteriously into the ark. Now, do you think if you saw that happening here where you live, down the main street of Kurumbong or down the main street of Morissette, if all of a sudden you saw animals, male and female, two by two, heading down the main road to the train station, would you be wondering what on earth is going on? I would. I would. They saw all this in the days of Noah, and yet they still chose to reject those warnings. Those clear warnings. I mean, how much more clear could God have been? How much clearer could God have been? And then another point, another point. Scoffers, mockers and sceptics. There were sadly scoffers, mockers and sceptics in the days of Noah. Even though they had all this evidence, they still scoffed at the warnings that Noah gave. Notice what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. He writes, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in what days? In the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Are we living in such a time as this? Yes, indeed. Are people scoffing at the promise of the second coming of Christ? Yes, they are. Now, notice what Peter goes on and says and how he links the scoffers of the last days to scoffers back in the day of Noah. Notice these words. We continue reading. For this they willfully forget. That is scoffers in the last days. They willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. By which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. So what Peter here is telling us is we have the evidence from Scripture. We have the evidence from Scripture that once upon a time, men and women scoffed at the warnings given in love by a man called Noah, who they thought belonged in the loony bin, who needed serious psychiatric help. They scoffed at his warnings of love and they perished. Peter is saying, those of you who live in the last days, don't follow in their footsteps. What did George Santayana say? Those who do not learn from the past are what? Are condemned to repeat it. We've been given this message from Jesus Christ himself. Pointing us back to the days of Noah. Pointing us back to the days of Lot. There's nothing more God could do. Nothing more he can do. Sadly, today we find ourselves living in what the Bible says would be a time such as this world has never experienced before. We're living in the time of the end. 
mentioned that in a previous message. Since 1798, we've been living in the time of the end. Since 1844, we've been living in the time of the end. In fact, I've been watching this great series that I just want to make note of from Dr. Alan Lindsay, God's last message to the world. I'd highly recommend if you haven't had an opportunity to to view that, that you do. It's on 3ABN. You can order the DVDs or you can watch it. Um, And so I want to encourage you to to watch that because that really fits in with the messages that we are looking at here in this in this series of Noah. And and he unpacks the time of the end and the judgment period and some of those all important events that we don't have time to deal with in this series. But we have now entered the time of the end. And it's interesting to me that that in the last 200 years, we we have the advent of, of of atheism, communism, Darwinism. We have the advent of the age of reason. We, we, we have the advent of this non-biblical worldview where people, where people by and large in the Western world scoff and mock and ridicule the story of Noah. Do you really believe that's a true story? Come on! How could that be a true story? It's just legend. It's just a myth. It's a fairy tale. Do you really, really, really believe that God created this world in six literal 24-hour days? Do you really believe that? Sadly today, that's not only the view of non-Christians in our educational institutions, in our science, amongst our scientific communities. But sadly today, that's the reality in many Christian churches. Today, many Christian churches ha- have lost their biblical worldview. It's gone out the window. It is no longer to be seen anywhere. That's the sad reality where Christians today believe that, believe that marriage can be whatever you want it to be, that, that there is no such thing as a six-day creation that God created over long periods of time and they've given it this, this crazy term, theistic evolution, as if you can combine atheism and God. What are they thinking? That there isn't such a thing as a literal worldwide flood. The story of Lot is also very instructional. We go to the book of Genesis chapter 19. And in verses 12 to 14 there, we discover uh, the interaction that Lot has with his, with his family members that he's desperately trying to save because of the warning the angels have given him. Notice the words in verse 12. Then the man said to Lot, that are the, the, the angels, the two angels, have you anyone else here that is in Sodom? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And then verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters. And he said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be what? To be joking. They were like, are you serious, old man? This city filled with luxury, filled with the best of the best, this city being destroyed by fire? Surely not. You've got to be joking. 
The word there that is used is a very interesting word. In fact, the King James picks it up probably better than most translations. And the word there is mock. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They made sport of him. Sounds like normalcy bias to me, if there ever was a time. What's that phrase? Normalcy bias, normality bias. What does it mean again? A human tendency to respond to threat warnings with disbelief or minimization. To underestimate a disaster's serious, significant effects. Is that what was happening in the days of Noah? Is that what was happening in the days of Lot? Is that what is happening today? All around us. Yes, indeed. She'll be right, mate. (laughs) It's okay, brother Lot. It's okay, dad. It's going to be right. She'll be right. We'll get to the other side. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. Just chill. Take a chill pill and relax. Don't get yourself all worked up. You're going to do yourself an injury. She'll be right, mate. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Today, we are in a spiritual pandemic that has impacted and affected each and every one of us, some of us more than others. And I pray, Father, may this spiritual pandemic of she'll be right, mate, not be the disease that impacts my life and my walk with you. Eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, is what they said once upon a time. It's the most deadly disease, the most deadly pandemic on the planet right now. It's not COVID, in case you were wondering, or any other physical disease or ailment. The most deadly disease today on planet Earth is that of everything's going to be okay. Just continue to eat and drink and be merry. Go about your life. Go about your business for everything's going to be okay. There's time. There's time. There's plenty of time. Plenty of time. I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist by nature. I really am. I'm an optimist by nature. I like to see things on the bright side. I like to put on those rose-colored glasses. You know what those rose-colored glasses are? You know, where you look at life in a positive way, except for when I have to have makeup put on me here at 3ABN, which has to happen at times, all the time. Apart from them, um, and I'm trying to be positive about that, aren't I, Rosemary? I'm really trying to be positive about that. And she's working on me, and I'm getting there by the grace of God. I'm getting there bit by bit. But I'm coming to to the conclusion more and more each day that with everything that is going on around us right now, that we have well and truly entered the final significant stages of human history. Those final prophetic movements which we are told will be what? Rapid ones are not that far off in the distance. I I genuinely believe, and I'm not saying this to be an alarmist. The last time I checked, Noah and Lot were accused of being alarmist. So I don't mind being in that category either. I don't really mind. 
But I genuinely believe that we are on the verge of the stupendous crisis the Bible speaks of, that Jesus spoke of. And if ever there was a time for us, by the grace of God, to pray that he, that he, that he pull us out of this lukewarm, apathetic, she'll be right, mate, pandemic, it's today. I need the vaccine for the spiritual pandemonia. Is that a word? That's a word from Danny. <laughs> that we are experiencing right now. We need that heavenly virus and the heavenly virus is the words of Jesus. It's the message of Jesus, the message of his grace, the message of his love. The signs of the times are fast fulfilling all around us. In the world of, of business and economy, in the world of religion, the environment, there's political polarization going on. There are uprisings and protests, social, cultural, ethnic divisions, chaos and confusion. And the list could go on and on and on. And so I should not have been surprised. I shouldn't have been surprised. But I was. But I shouldn't have been. When COVID hit and I was expecting my phone to be running off the hook with family, friends, people that had known me, people that had heard these messages that I've been preaching for the last 20 years, calling me saying, Danny, you were sharing this. You were talking about the days of Noah. You were talking about things all of a sudden heating up. You were talking about things rapidly increasing. When it comes to the signs of the times and now they're here, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I do? What do I need to do to connect with Jesus Christ? I was hoping and I was expecting my phone to be ringing hot. I was in lockdown like many of you at home. Not much to do. Waiting for the phone to ring. And guess what? The phone never rang. Or barely rang. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on? I mean, can't people see that the world's been tipped upside down? Can't people see that what Jesus said, that this world before the end of time will be tipped upside down and, we're, and, the, and life as we know it will change. There's going to be a new normal. And aren't we talking about that anyway? You know, we want things to go back to normal, don't we? We're talking about normal, but we're saying it's a new normal, a new normal. We want things to go back to normal. She'll be right, mate. And so, oh boy, oh boy, I got a reality, a reality shock. It's true what Jesus said. Regardless of what is going on in the world, people are still going to continue to hold on to this normalcy bias. This should be right, mate. Should be right, mate. And that brings us to my final point that I, that I believe Christ wants us to learn from. And this is the really, really big one. The peril of not knowing. Now, 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 what do we mean by that? What did Jesus mean by that? Have a look at the words of Jesus. Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39. Matthew 24, 38 and 39. Jesus says, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And notice, and did not, what's that word? What's that word? And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Hang on a minute. 
Hang on a minute, time out. They did not know that a flood was coming. But we have just discovered that they had warning after warning after. Noah was building a boat. He was preaching for 120 years. The animals were mysteriously making their way into that. Methuselah was a, was a sure sign that a flood was coming. When he dies, it shall come to pass. I mean, they had all the signs. What do you mean they did not know Jesus? I'm scratching my head. I'm wondering. And then it hit me. Then it hit me when I read this statement, this powerful insight from the book, Patriarchs and Prophets. Ellen White writes, under inspiration, these powerful words. Notice these words. The period of their probation was about to expire. Noah had faithfully followed the instructions which he had received from God. The ark was finished in every part as the Lord had directed and was stored with food for man and beast. And now the servant of God made his last solemn appeal to the people with an agony of desire that words cannot express. He entreated them to seek a refuge while it might be found. Again, they rejected his words and raised their voices in jest and scoffing. Suddenly, a silence fell upon the mocking throng. Beasts of every description, the fiercest as well as the most gentle, were seen coming from mountain and forest and quietly making their way toward the ark. A noise as of a rushing wind was heard, and lo, birds were flocking from all directions, their numbers darkening the heavens, and in perfect order they passed to the ark. Animals obeyed the command of God while men were disobedient. Guided by holy angels, they went in two by two unto Noah into the ark and the clean beasts by sevens. The world looked on in wonder, some in fear. Philosophers were called upon to account for the singular occurrence, but in vain. It was a mystery which they could not fathom. And then notice these words. I have them highlighted. But men and women, it's in the generic sense, had become so, what's that word? hardened by their persistent rejection of light that even this scene produced but a momentary impression. As the doomed race beheld the sun shining in its glory and the earth clad in almost Eden beauty, they banished their rising fears by boisterous merriment. Sounds like the eating and drinking, the marrying and the giving in marriage and the so on and so forth. And by their deeds of violence, they seem to invite upon themselves the visitation of the already awakened wrath of God. Wow. What an insight. What an insight. It sounds like they were living out the she'll be right, mate. Everything's going to be hunky-dory and carrying on scoffing and mocking the final message of love from God through his servant Noah. And they did not know. They did know. But their hearts had become so hardened, so hardened, they had grieved away the Holy Spirit, our only hope. Make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is our only hope. If we reject and grieve away the Holy Spirit, there is no hope. The Holy Spirit alone leads us to Jesus Christ. He alone leads us to Jesus Christ. If we refuse 
the light, God will allow us to experience the darkness. Notice what Jesus said in John 3 verses 19 to 21. Jesus said, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved what? Darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. He goes on. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. We've got two choices, according to Jesus. Either we can embrace and accept the light from above or we will perish in darkness. There's only two choices, as there was in the days of Noah, as there was in the days of Lot. Only two choices, salvation or destruction. Only two choices. If you want to believe the lie, if you want to remain in this land called she'll be right, mate, everything's going to be okay, eat, drink and be merry, no need to worry, then you'll experience what the Apostle Paul speaks of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Notice what he says. He says, And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the what? The lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the what? The truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow. If we choose not to accept the truth, which is what? God's word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is what? Truth. Thy law is truth, according to the psalmist in Psalm 119, 142. If we do not accept God's truth, his word, there is only one other option. And that is for us to be taken in by the enemy whose name is evil with a capital D into his snares of lies and deception and ultimate destruction. The Bible says something very fascinating about the days of Noah. In Genesis 7, 16, it says, So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. Most people don't realize, but it did not rain immediately after the door was shut. It didn't rain immediately. If you read the text, you'll discover that it only began to rain. Maybe rain's not the right word because the heavens literally opened up. The, the springs of, 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 and the fountains of deep erupted. I mean, it was something that you and I cannot even begin to fathom. That only, be, that only happened seven days after Noah entered the ark. So for seven days, for seven days, the, the antediluvians who were lost had no idea that they were lost for seven days. They were partying, having a great time. They were enjoying life. I can imagine all the barbecues. I can imagine all the beer. I can imagine all the fun and the mocking and the scoffing. And the jesting and the laughing that would have been going on and all the knocking on, 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 on Noah's door and on the ark, all the knocking during that week-long period. 
Could it be that Jesus is saying that we also can face that same serious situation whereby we find ourselves lost because we have grieved away the Holy Spirit and we think everything is okay. We continue on with life, partying and having a great time. So what's our only hope? Our only hope is to turn to Christ. Our only hope is to seek him with all our heart. Our only hope is to pray the prayer that David prayed, search my heart, O God, and see if there is any wicked way and lead me in the way of everlasting. And that's in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. So how do we respond? How should we respond? What did Jesus say in Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44? Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be what? Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. That's the message. Continually be with Christ. Continually be surrendered to him. Don't wait for a better day. In fact, this is what Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says in concerning, you know, when is the best time to respond? In Hebrews 3, verses 7 and 8, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, so who's speaking now? It's the Holy Spirit speaking, the one who inspired the scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. So we ought to be paying attention. Amen. We ought to be paying attention because the Holy Spirit is the only one, as we have discovered, that will lead us to Jesus Christ. In fact, in the days of Noah, God said, My Spirit, my Holy Spirit will not strive with men forever, but 120 years. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, when? Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, speaking of the children of Israel. So don't go down that road today. Why not tomorrow? Why not tomorrow? Tomorrow may never come. We only have today, today, today. In fact, that word today appears five times, five times in Hebrews 3. And Hebrews chapter four, five times with a reference to today is the day of salvation. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes one step further. He goes beyond today and notice the words that he uses in 2 Corinthians chapter six, verse two. He says, for, for he says, he's speaking of God now, he's quoting from the Old Testament once again. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, when is the accepted time? Now is the accepted time. Behold, he repeats, now is the day of salvation. So not just today, but when? Right now, because that's all we have. The reality is we have right now. We don't even have the rest of the day. We do not have the rest of the day. Forget about tomorrow. Forget about the rest of the week. We only have the right now. I'll never forget watching images on the news and watching um, a video that had been taken on people's phones of that, of that 
tragic blast explosion that took place in Beirut. Do you remember that? That that blast. People people were people were were on their phones, you know, recording this fire that had broken out there at the port in Beirut. They were just recording this fire that was happening. I mean, fires happen all the time. We get out our phones and we film a fire, be it a car, be it a house, be it whatever. We just we're just filming and they're filming. And all of a sudden that fire ignited that which was there, all that ammonium, I think it was just tons and tons of it. And the explosion, you could literally see the explosion come in waves and it came like this. It just came within seconds. There was a wedding going on and that wedding, man alive, that wedding was just tipped upside down in a matter of seconds. Things can change suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. I want to encourage you as we end to put your faith and trust in Jesus today. Today, don't wait Don't wait for a she'll be right mate moment. Today's the day. Now is the day of salvation. Wherever you're watching from, my friend, I want to encourage you today to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Today, respond to his invitation to come. Come into the ark. Come into the ark of his arms of salvation. Come, come, come. It's Jesus. He's inviting you to come. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for his love. We want to thank you for his mercy, for his grace. We want to thank you for the story of Noah. We want to thank you for the the messages of love and warning that Jesus himself has given us. Oh, Father, may we take these messages to heart. May we share this with others like Noah to prepare others also for your soon return. Bless us, Father, and prepare us today. Prepare us now. For your sake and for the sake of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. You've been listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au.